Revelation chapter 21 today. Yeah, we are wrapping it up. Uh, not this week, but this week and next week. The last few chapters of Revelation. But we have made it through the darkness. Man, I tell you what, I love studying the book of Revelation, but it's heavy. And, and you go chapter after chapter of, you know, plagues and, and wrath and, and destruction and, and all these things. And, man, then you come to chapter 21. You're just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Everything uh, is being brought into uh, what it's meant to be. And from the time of Adam and Eve's fall in the garden, throughout the entire age of mankind, through the tribulation that we've been seeing and through what we saw last week of the millennium, it's now reaching its completion. The time of the millennium seemed pretty amazing, right? It's a thousand years of peace on earth. The Lord is ruling from Jerusalem and the saints are ruling with him. Uh, There are people still on the earth and there's some question of who they are. They're those that made it through the tribulation. Maybe it's 144,000 along with others. But either way, over that millennium, the earth is repopulated. And, and the point of the end, I had a few people go, what, what's up with at the end? You know, Satan's bound for a thousand years. Why not just keep him there? Why let him out at all? Well, because everything about love is founded on choice, right? And so in the millennium, people still have a choice, but very few opportunities to do the wrong thing. There are those who are born during the millennium, and those who live in the millennium live the entire time for the most part. And so the earth is repopulated with people that did not have to make necessarily that choice between serving their flesh and serving the Lord. And and really, as I mentioned last week, it is such an important truth to us because it shows that the problem of mankind is not our environment. That's a, that's a big thing. It's been a long, around for a long time that people are going, you know what, if, I, if, if we just had the perfect environment, if we just lived in a utopian society where there was no crime and there was no you know, violence and there was no racism and there was none of these, these things, then everyone would behave themselves and everyone would be good people. And the problem with that theory is, is that it's saying that at the heart, mankind is good and only turns bad because of a bad environment. Well, the millennium proves that that is not true. They are in the perfect environment for a thousand years. And as soon as the devil's released, he is able to raise an army that is beyond number. People that have heard directly from the Lord. Faith isn't required during the millennium. The Lord's right there in Jerusalem. It's, it's a face-to-face relationship. And, and they know the history of the tribulation. They know the history of the church. And they know all of that. Yet when the devil's released, he quickly raises an army that cannot be counted. And they all come against Jerusalem to attempt to overthrow the Lord. It shows that mankind's problem is mankind's heart. That we are a fallen people. Now, As they attack Jerusalem, fire descends from heaven, and they are destroyed. And then we saw, after that, the white throne judgment, right? Where John sees this mighty throne, and the idea is absolute, complete authority in all ways. 
And he who sat upon it had such authority that heaven and earth fled away from him and were, and were not found. No place was found for them, which means they ceased to exist. Gone. And then all mankind, all humanity stood before his throne and are judged. If their names are not found in the book of life, then they will be judged by their works. And again, people will read that and go, man, that seems really harsh. It's exactly what they've asked for. This, the understanding is that people who reject Jesus Christ... They said, I don't want grace from you. I don't want forgiveness from you. I don't want anything. I can stand on my own. And this is them getting exactly that, that the books were opened of their life, of their works, and everyone is found wanting. No one will enter heaven by their works. If they will not receive grace, then justice is the only thing that remains. And that's what the white throne judgment is all about, is perfect justice. Um, And then we come to chapter 21. After the white throne judgment comes a new life, new relationship. And, uh, And it's for every believer throughout all eternity. And it's interesting because we think of as we're getting towards the end of Revelation, like, man, this is the end of the story, right? This is the happy ending. We've, we've, We've gone from Genesis. We've talked about all about the fall of man and the things that they faced and that we've all faced and the the coming of the Lord and his salvation. We get the whole story and we get to Revelation and go, that's a great ending. But here's the thing. If we understand that the entirety of of human history, history, seven to 10,000 years, depending on how you want to try and count it up, compared to all eternity, it's not even a blip on the radar. It's such a short amount of time. And this is, this is how I kind of picture it in my head. It's like we're looking for the story of God and his people. And what we've gotten thus far is like the very powerful introduction on the opening flap of the book. And that's all we got so far. This is the beginning of the story. This is where the real relationship that God has always wanted with mankind begins. And we don't understand hardly anything about it. In fact, we just get like a glimpse of the first few sentences if we were still talking about the book, right? The Lord's like, oh, I'll tell you this and that, and that's all you get to know. But this is where the story starts. And so I get super excited about it, and there's a lot. I mean, we could have broken this chapter up into a couple weeks easily, but I want to just bring the whole thing out and this whole picture of, of what the Lord is doing in making all things new. So let's pray one more time, and we'll get into chapter 21. Lord Jesus, we are so overwhelmed when we try and think of your complete plan, your great love for us, and and not just in saving us, but saving us for a purpose in this life now, but in the age to come as well. And Lord, we just want to hear all that you have for us. We want to take it in as much as we can. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would apply your word to our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So chapter 21, starting in verse 1. John says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. 
And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Verse 1, John says, A new heaven and a new earth for the first have passed away. Like I said, in chapter 20, uh, we saw that heaven and earth fled from him who sat upon the throne and there was no place for them. They just ceased to exist. Um, And there's a lot of discussion about what this new heaven and this new earth refer to. Uh, It's I, I don't know if it, everyone has this talk or if it's pastors or I don't theologians or whatever. They like to, this is one of the things they like to debate, right? And so there's two thoughts. One is, is that it's really just the earth, the planet earth, and the atmosphere that's being referred to as heaven. That that is what is being uh, made new. Actually, it's a whole new heaven and a whole new earth are being uh, recreated in, out of nothing. Right? So that's one thought. The other thought is, is it's not just earth and the air around the earth, but it's all of creation, the entire physical universe, and the entire spiritual world of heaven itself, that everything is being wiped clean. Um, and to be honest, there's good arguments on both sides. I don't really care. Uh, it's, I don't think it's the same. <laughs> something worth arguing about or, or, or anything, because we don't get a vote, right? At this point, God is not going to come to any of us and go, so what do you think? Um, start all over or just this little part over here, you know? <laughs> it, I, it's fine either way, right? And honestly, if he just replaced the earth, uh, well, that's great, because sin only exists here. Mankind fell here. The devil was cast here. And so the rest of the universe still fine, as far as I can tell, anything in the scripture. Uh, but again, it, it's really not a, a big deal. I think it's going to be amazing. He seems to know what he's doing so far. I think he's got it figured out. Um, one of the things that's mentioned is that there is no more sea. And what's funny is, especially in our culture, living in Hawaii, <laughs> so many people are like, what? Are you kidding me? No surf? We can't go fishing? We can't go to the beach? What, what, how is that heaven? Relax. <laughs> Once again, he seems to have it all figured out. He's doing a pretty good job with everything. Um, but I think what it does tell us 
uh, and we're going to see this in a lot of different ways, is that not only does earth look different, no seas, no oceans, but it's, it functions differently. See, right now, we can't live without oceans and seas. The earth is covered, actually more than two-thirds of the earth is covered with water. And, and that seems like an excessive amount, but we're finding more and more that it's exactly what we need to survive. If it was one-third, some might survive, but the earth would look very, very different, much more like a desert. And so it's like the system he's created works, but he's going to change all of that. This is part of making all things new. Uh, certainly the, the ecosystem of the planet is going to be different, but uh, I even wonder if physics are going to be different. And we're going to see some things that's like, well, that shouldn't work like that, but he says it's going to, so <laughs> again, he seems to have it figured out. Um, and I think, so what's the purpose of that? Why, why take away the oceans and the seas? Well, again, two-thirds of the earth are covered with water now, so you're expanding the earth by two-thirds, which to me just means that it becomes a playground. It becomes something to explore. It becomes something to enjoy. Because the other thing that's going to be different is, is that no one's going to need to plant or harvest or build or make money or have, do any of the stuff that, that land is for now, Right? The reason we have land is to build a house or to build a farm and to, to grow things. and That's not going to be its main purpose. Now, I think we'll still have ability to do some of those things, but it's not going to be mainly what it's for. And so I, I believe the earth is going to be opened up to be a place to be a garden enjoyed as it was in the beginning. Now, Adam still had a job, and I think that's important because some people are like, so we're just going like, to sit around all day? And, it, and again, it's the personality types, right? So you got the entrepreneurs, you got the people that have their own businesses and stuff, and they're like, well, I don't just want to sit around. I want to do something. Before Adam fell, he had a job. He was working the garden. He was to tend the garden. He had authority over the animals and over the earth, right? So we will have a purpose. We will have things that we're called to do. And we're going to see that as, as we go on further here. Um, but I think it's going to be a very different reason. It's going to be a very different motive. Again, why do we work? Best case scenario, we find a job we love. We call it a career. But it's, even then, its purpose is to pay the bills. It won't be that reason then. It'll be our calling. It'll be something we love. It'll be the thing that God has placed in us from the beginning that we didn't even know, and he's going to go, hey, I've got a great job for you. You're going to love this, right? Now we also see, well, actually on that same topic, the earth being like the playground. I, I, I hope it's this, the same thing is true with the whole universe, right? That we're just going to have this ability like, oh, yeah, I'd love to go see the rings of Saturn. I don't know. But again, what's the point of creating it all? Because he, he wants us to enjoy it. It, it reveals his glory and, and speaks of his character. So I think, you know, all these things are going to become uh, possible to a level that we have, can't even imagine now. Now, again, more than that, the earth and everything in it, this new heaven, new earth, it is the stage for a new relationship with God Almighty. And that's the really important part. As interesting as it is to think about exploring the universe or exploring the earth or what the earth would be like, it really doesn't matter. 
the, its whole point is, is that it is going to be the stage for this new relationship with God. And maybe saying new relationship isn't the best way, but the completed relationship that he's always wanted. Even from the time of Adam and Eve in the garden, there was a limitation upon that relationship. We will have a perspective that Adam never did. We will see things, know things, have a, a, a depth and understanding of God's love that Adam did not have in the garden. And again, it's a completion of what God's plan is. In verse 2, John says, I, John, and it's a statement of like, I am testifying to the truth that I have seen. So he kind of makes this point of like, what I'm about to tell you is important, and it's not going to make sense, and a lot of people aren't going to understand it, but I'm telling you, I've seen it. And he says, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God. Now, he just kind of briefly mentions it here, but he's going to get into more of the details later. This is the fulfillment of a long waited for hope. In fact, all the way to Abraham. Then when Abraham was traveling and, and even going to the land of Canaan, even though God had told him, hey, I'm giving this to you and to your descendants, he stayed in tents and he traveled as a pilgrim and he didn't put down roots really in that place and say, well, this is all mine now. And Hebrews tells us about Abraham in chapter 11, that by faith Abraham obeyed God and he went out not knowing where he was going. And that he dwelled in tents with his family. And this is the line that from uh, verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 11. For he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This is that city he was looking for. This is what Abraham all the way back then was going, what I really want is the city of God. Not a city I build, not a city somebody else has built, not a land that other people live in. I want the foundation of the city that I dwell in to be fashioned by God himself. And so he wandered, looking for that place. And here, it has arrived. I love that. I love seeing things kind of come to that, com that completion. And it's amazing. It's like it, no other city that's ever existed. First of all, it is new. It is holy. No crime has ever been committed in this city. In fact, no crime has been committed on the new earth that has been created. It is clean, brand new. But the city itself is, is perfect, spotless, and it never will see crime. It never will see sin. But much more than it being beautiful or in a collection of buildings and structures, what makes it most beautiful is that it is the place of this new deep relationship with the Lord. It is the place where suddenly heaven and earth will be combined. That there's no more division between heaven and earth at this point. God isn't away somewhere far off in heaven on his throne, and we're on earth. They are intertwined, interwound at this point. And the center of it all is the new Jerusalem. And I, I believe that this is what so many people in the world are just wanting so desperately. They don't even know it. You know, I've known people that so desperately want that kind of utopian commune to live in where everybody gets along and everything goes well and, and we're all just working for the common good. That, 
the idea of that is a beautiful idea. But it will never, ever happen in this world. It isn't anything that God or that man can ever create on earth because we're flawed, because we're broken. It just like our salvation, this must come down from heaven by grace. It is a gift from God to mankind. It isn't anything that we create or earn. Now again, the city's beautiful. Uh, but what's even more beautiful is the connection that we will have with God Himself, that a, a relationship with the Trinity that we can't even imagine. And it's so much so that John can only compare it to a bride adorned for her husband. And I think that's just the perfect picture, right? Because we understand that. I mean, if you've been, we've all been to weddings, but I know that there are some in my mind that just stand out as being beautiful. That, that when the bride was entering, everybody literally went, you know, it was, it was just so gorgeous, and, and while you could look at that, and if you didn't know what you were looking for, you go, well, the flowers are beautiful, and the bridesmaids' dresses, and the men, and they all look great, and, and the church is decorated beautifully, and the brides, you could look at all the things that are beautiful. But honestly, what makes it beautiful is the covenant, this holy covenant that's about to be fulfilled between the husband and wife. Everything else is just adornment. And it's the same way that as John describes the city, he is going, hey, it's beautiful. And he tries to describe the the physical beauty of it. But the greatest beauty of all, the breathtaking beauty, is God's relationship with mankind on a whole new level. Something completely, it's not different, but it's an absolute fulfillment of what God has planned. And God himself or the voice from heaven, verse 3 says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. Again, no longer is there a division. No longer is God somewhere that can't be reached. He is right here. Heaven and earth are now combined together in this new earth and in new Jerusalem. And all the things of the past are dealt with. Things of the old life, things of the fallen nature, sin and pain, all done away with. Verse 4 says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. To me, just, if you stop right there, that's enough. And it isn't just him saying, you know, oh, poor baby, I know it was rough. The idea is he's going to give meaning to the pain that we've suffered. That, that the tears that we've already shed are going to make sense in light of his glory and all eternity, right? And so even now, as we face trial and difficulty and so many things in life, we go, I don't get it. Why why is God allowing this? Why is this happening? Hey, the day is coming where he's going to go, let me explain that to you. Let me wipe that tear away from your eye one at a time. And we're just going to sit and talk about your life and the tears that were shed. And I'm taking them all away. Awesome. Awesome insight to the character of the Lord. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Now, this does not mean that he's going to wipe our memory. I've actually had people say that. They're like, we, we go through all of this, and he just kind of goes, 
boom, forget it all. And we're like, hey, how did I get here? <laughs> not at all. It's not that he, he wipes our memory. It's that, again, the things that we faced and the things that mankind have, has gone through and the way that God has dealt with mankind are going to be understood. That the things of our past, all the old things have passed away. And I like how it's worded here, but the idea is that the tears and the pain and the sorrow that there's a day coming when God's just going to go, you know what? We're done with all of that. That's the old things. So it isn't like the, the things of our life, well, we're not going to think about those things because they're sad. He's just like, nope, anything that's of pain and of sorrow, we're just done with it. We're just, it it's, it's been fulfilled. It's gone. Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. This is what everything is leading towards. This is what all things that God is, is doing in mankind and, and bringing us to. And that's really the idea of, behold, I make all things new. It isn't that at this point he suddenly goes, boom, it's all new. The way that it's worded in the original Greek is that it is a process that he is doing now. He is in the process of making all things new. And so it's like the fallen nature of man is in this downward spiral of destruction. And God is able to just pluck us out, making us new as we go. And we're going to continue to become more new the longer we walk with him. And this is the fulfillment of that newness, right? So it isn't like we're waiting for it to happen. It's happening now. We're in that process of being made new. And then he tells John, write, these words are faithful, are true and faithful. We've seen this before. Um, the, this sort of term has been used before. And the idea is you can count on this promise more than anything else you know. These words are faithful and true. And Almighty God is saying, and I'm going to fulfill every word. You can be sure of it. Not one will be left undone. And then he brings this list. And to me, these are, it's a little bit of a wrestle because you've got all this great stuff and all things being new and, and the, the glimpse of new Jerusalem and all this hope. And then at the end, he gives this list of those that will not receive eternal life, who won't be a part of the new Jerusalem. And, and it's such a contrast. It's almost a shock. But again, the point of what he's saying here is that he's not going to force anyone to live in New Jerusalem. He's not going to force anyone to have this relationship that he has so desperately desired, that he has done absolutely everything he can short of forcing mankind to believe. And so anybody that chooses not to, well, they'll get exactly what they want. And there will be no place for them. When you remove all that God is, love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, when you remove all of that and you remove all that God has done and all that God has created, you remove all that is his and all that he is, the only thing left is outer darkness. That's all that remains. In this case, it is referred to as the lake 
which burns with fire and brimstone. That's all that's left when you take away all that's, that he is. And people say, I don't want Jesus. I don't want God. I don't want to have anything to do with him. I don't need anything from them. Then outer darkness is all that remains. Now, verse 9 says, Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her light was like the most precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great high wall with 12 gates, the 12 angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. And the city laid out as a square, its length as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. And then he measured its walls, 144 cubits, according to the measurement of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation of the wall of the city was adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire the third carnelian, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysocephalus, and the eleventh was jasonith, the twelfth amethyst, the twelve gates of the twelve, excuse me, the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the streets of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Again, John is trying to convey to us the beauty of this city. And it's so huge and so overwhelming that he has to be taken to a far-off great mountain just to take in its scope. Again, we see that this is the fulfillment of very long-anticipated uh, promise. It says in verse 16, the city is laid out as a square. Its length is great as its breadth. There he's speaking of the foundation or the footprint that it's square. Um, and they measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. And some people say, well, it's the, it's the idea of like a pyramid. So you've got a base that's square, and then it goes up as high as it is wide, possibly. Um, but it, it would make more sense that if it's a, it's a cube shape. And here's why. Because a lot of what's being described here, uh, from the foundations of the city 
to the layout of the city and the gates on uh, four sides are all pointing back to the camp of Israel. And to the, the stones in the foundation are pointing to the, the breastplates of the high priest. And uh, the holy place there in the tabernacle was as tall as it was wide and deep. It was a cube shape with the holy of holies inside of it. And, and I think that it's pointing to this whole city as being the holy place. And the Lord's presence dwelling there within, right? And to me, again, it's, it's fascinating. It's so cool. That stuff that God laid down with Moses all that time ago. And remember, we talked about this several times in the book of Revelation, that he told Moses, make sure you build it just how I told you to, right? Because it's the picture of heaven. It's, it's what is to come. You're building the model of the reality. And again, I believe that this is the reality. While the throne room of God that we saw in Revelation was also being spoken of, this is the finality. This is the ultimate temple. This is the ultimate holy place. Now, how big is it? Well, we're told 12,000 furlongs. And I think this is the reason that John said, okay, I, John, am testifying to what I've seen. How big is 12,000 furlongs? In our modern measurements, it's 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles cubicle. Another interesting note, when God laid out the borders of Israel to divide up the land, and he tells them it's from this river to that mountain, and he lays it all out, it's 1,500 miles square. Now, this is huge. This is huge. I was just having trouble wrapping my mind around how huge this is, right? And people gave all these different pictures and ideas and, and comparisons, but uh, this is the one that, that, to me, kind of put it into perspective. It's 1,500 miles wide, deep, and tall. If it's touching the earth, which there are some indications it's not, it's actually hovering over the earth, but if it were touching the earth, only the first 10 miles would have breathable air. Only the first 300 miles would be within the Earth's atmosphere. The other 1,200 past that would be in outer space. This is a big city. <laughs> this is massive, right? And again, it shows us that things are changing, right? That, that God isn't like, well, nobody can live at the top floors because there's no air up there. It's, it's all figured out. And it's going to be an entirely new earth that we are living in. Um, and this place is big enough. Again, I heard all kinds of statistics. People tried to estimate every believer that's ever existed, including all of those of the Jewish nation that kept the covenant and all of these things. And with all of those people throughout all of history, very generous in the numbers, everybody still gets about 70 acres in this thing. That's, that's a lot of space. For someone like me that's an introvert, I'm like, yes, 70 acres. <laughs> and maybe my neighbors will build on the other side of their 70 acres. <laughs> now, again, there's a lot of symbolism to the, the things that are described here, the gems that are the foundation and the gold of the streets. The pearls are the ones that stand out to me. And again, I know that that's my weird way of thinking of things. Because I don't think of the pearl 
I think of the oyster. <laughs> That's a big oyster. The entire gate is made out of one pearl? I'm sorry, that's just how my mind works. That's, a, that's what I'm saying. Somewhere there's a huge, 12 huge oysters. <laughs> this has been misunderstood, and it's been misused by the church in the past to go, well, see, a church should be made from precious stones and covered in gold, and, and we're going to take all of your money to do that, right? Complete lie. That is not what this is pointing to at all. And I've even had people say, well, it sounds pretty extravagant. It sounds pretty ostentatious. And it is not pointing towards wealth. It is not pointing towards leisure. It is pointing towards the glory of God. And the foundations of the wall are, I think, a good example. Because each one of those stones, and there's some dispute over which stones it's referring to, because these are the ancient terms that are used here, and we're going, like, oh, that could be a diamond, or it could be this, or it doesn't really matter. The point is, is that each one of them reflects light very differently. And as we'll see, the light of the city is the glory of Jesus Christ. And each one of these foundations shines his glory in a beautiful, different way, Right? The other thing that I, I think is very cool, well, we'll look at a couple things that I think are important about this. That's the first one, is it isn't speaking about leisure. It isn't speaking about, you know, money or extravagance or any of those. The other thing I think is important that it's showing is, is what mankind has strived for all of this time, since the beginning. Well, what wars have been fought over and people have been murdered over, they're the paving stones in heaven. Yes, they're beautiful, but they are not of more value than the glory of God. And they vastly are, are, are un, in, in comparison, they're so much smaller, right? This is, this is the building blocks. The Legos that God uses to build a city are the things that people are striving and dying for today. There'll be nothing then. The third thing that I think is cool is that Again, he's not erasing our memory. We're not ignoring the past. In fact, there are things very clearly laid out, and they'll be laid out for eternity as reminders. That the 12 gates are named for the 12 tribes of Israel. This is a beautiful picture. Because you want into the city of God, you have to go through Israel. There are those who are like, we don't need Israel. God's rejected Israel. Israel doesn't have a place anymore. Wrong. We the Gentiles are grafted into the vine. We are the wild olive shoot that's been grafted in. For us to enter, it's through Israel. They are the gate into the city. The next is the foundations are each named for the 12 apostles. Um, again, they're the foundation of the church. That no one can say, well, I, didn't, you know, I don't need Paul's writings. I don't need... Hey, this is what our faith is founded on. That for us to know Jesus Christ, it comes through the Word of God written by the apostles for us, right? And this city will forever testify of those things, pointing back to the past, what God did, and really His relationship with mankind, how He was reaching out to us through Israel, through the 12 apostles, and this is going to continue through all eternity in the future. Now, verse 22, 
John says, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring in the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter anything that, it, that defiles or causes abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Man, New Jerusalem has a lot. And really, when, I, when we talk about the city, the idea, this is heaven. This is that, that heaven that we've all looked forward to. This is it. This is the, the culmination of all things. And it, but for all that it has, it's missing some important things. There's no temple there. Because there's no need for it anymore. The Lord himself is the temple. And to me, I, I have trouble wrapping my mind around that. But the idea is that instead of go, going to church to learn of the Lord or going to the temple in the Old Testament to make sacrifice and to know the Lord. You just know the Lord. You can just go to the Lord. He's the temple. He's he's the one that everyone can come to. There's also no sun or moon. It's His glory. In fact, very clearly, it's the glory of Jesus um, that will not only light the city, but will light the earth. And, and we're also told that there are the nations, and we hear about the kings bringing in their tribute or their, their things into the city. And, and people go, wait a second, is this, does it just all happen again? Are there people on the earth and then there are those people in heaven? And so those people on earth are going to cause trouble and then they're going to have to be saved all over again? That's not it at all. Speaking of the nations of those who are saved, everybody that exists now, their name is written in the book of life. And the idea is that you can go in or out of the city. And the things that we're called to, the earth is going to have a purpose and we are going to have jobs just like Adam had a job before the fall. That we're going to have purpose. But our purpose is going to be to bring glory to him. So whatever we're doing out in the world, whatever it might be, we're going to bring of that to the Lord and honor him with it. Right? And again, that, it's hard for us to think about. Now I picture what it's going to be like. There we are in New Jerusalem. And I imagine there's some pretty great coffee shops there because coffee's pretty great. And we're sitting around, we're talking about, hey, you remember when we used to have jobs? Like when we had to like pay bills and we had debt and we had those, that kind of stuff. And now look at us. The stuff we get to do, it's just to honor the Lord because we love to honor the Lord, right? Completely new motivation, completely new purpose, completely fulfilled relationship. It's not going to be this ongoing cycle. And even in verse 27, it's misunderstood sometimes because people read it and go, well, wait a second. It talks about that, that no thing that defiles is allowed into the city. Does that mean that there are things out that can defile? No, it's not what it's saying at all. All those things have been dealt with. In fact, death and Hades themselves have been cast into the lake of fire and they are gone. Verse 27 is a warning to the reader. This is where we've gone from. Here's the description, how great it's going to be. This is God's purpose, what he wants to do with you and all mankind. But we need to take it serious, what it, what it means. Because no one 
who chooses to reject Jesus will find themselves in this city. There's an idea still out there that unfortunately is very popular that God is so big that there is room for every idea, every religion, every faith somewhere within him. And it turns God into this, this big generic power out there in the universe. And everybody's right. And every, that is not what the Bible says at all. That those whose names are not written in the book of life will be lost forever. This city will completely be out of their reach for all time. It is a warning to the reader that no one will con their way in, no one will trick their way in, no one will enter by their works or their sacrifices. There's only one way to enter heaven, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the only one that could pay the price and did pay the price. No other teacher, leader, religious leader, no matter what they taught, they were sinners broken just like us. They can't pay their own price and they can't pay mine. Only Jesus was able to do that. And only Jesus is able to write our names in his book of life. When we come to him, that is our entrance. That is our proof that we belong to him, that our name is in his, his book. And while all of that is great, and I think it's exciting, it's fun to look at, I think it's also good for us because it puts this day, this life, into perspective. Because no matter what we build here, it's all going to burn. In the new heaven and new earth, there will be no ruins of old civilizations. There will be no towers of, or monuments built to ancient people. It will all be new. Everything in this life will be gone. Knowing that that's true, how then shall we live? Man, let us live for eternity. Let us share the good news, invite as many people as we can that their names would also be written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.